This podcast is brought to you by Slow Tide. Slow Tide, our company, they took a mundane but essential uh, everyday product, uh, a towel, um, so something that we use every day, and they've turned it into uh, something cool, something you like looking at, a piece of art. So Slow Tide work with artists, brands, and photographers to bring amazing designs onto their products. Uh, not only towels, they also have now applied this same logic to blankets, um, perfect for the winter. Those of you that have listened to the podcast and know me will know I love sitting and watching a film or TV. I ask every guest to recommend me some something good to watch. Um, and especially in the UK at the moment, it's pretty cold. Most of that watching is done under a blanket. Uh, most importantly, though, uh, Slow Tide are committed to sustainability. Um, all of their cotton products are responsibly sourced through the Cotton Leads program, and their polyester products are made from 100% recycled post-consumer waste, usually plastic bottles. So you know that by buying one of these products, you're also not affecting the environment. Uh, check them out at, at Slow Tide Europe on Instagram for more information. I'll be posting a fair bit about them on my Instagram as well, at the After Hours Lounge. Um, huge thank you to Slow Tide for supporting the podcast, um, and thank you to you guys for getting through this advert. And now, on with the show. Hello friends, welcome back to the next episode of the After Hours Lounge. Uh, really, really pleased with this episode. Uh, he's been on my, my list for a very long time to talk to, um, but I sent him a message a few weeks ago and we've, we've managed to find time. Um, as you guys all know, I'm a very, very passionate windsurfer. Um, it's what I spent the last 10 years doing um, and it's kind of the, the sport I've kind of built my life around now. Um, so with that in mind, obviously, I like talking to windsurfers. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be joined by, I think you are the most... So decorated Olympic windsurfer of all time. Maybe you can correct me on that. Uh, but pleasure to be joined by um, Olympic medalist uh, for GBR for Great Britain, uh, Mr. Nick Dempsey. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Is that is that correct? Are you the are you the most decorated overall? You've got three three Olympic medals, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you got yeah you had a you had a bronze in 04, a silver in London in 2012. I remember that one, and then a silver in Rio. Is that that's what it was, wasn't it? That's correct. No gold. No, no gold. No. And it was wasn't it? It was it was the, what it was the same guy that beat you the two times you got silver, wasn't it? Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Dorian, the Dutch Dorian. Um, yeah. Yeah. Born in the wrong time. Born at the wrong time. No, no. I'm sure. Well. It's so silver's still pretty good, mate. Not many people yeah, have it. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's still good. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the you know the wind service, as I said before we hit record, a lot of the wind service things like that will will be aware of of kind of who you are. But can you go through a bit of the you know give us a sort of five five minute history of um of yourself, how you got into windsurfing, how it all started, um, and obviously where it where it is now. Sure, I uh, I started windsurfing seven years old, much like my own kids, really, and. Um, up here in Peaceborough, the lakes, family sport, family location. And uh, I was lucky to have um, those people around me to kind of introduce me to it. And then I suppose support me and support those childhood dreams of windsurfing every day. First of all, for just for pleasure. And then as I got older and a bit more yeah. into it, um, kind of onto the racing stuff and then eventually onto the Olympic stuff. Um, I then went on to the uh, five Olympic Games starting with Sydney um, and then finishing up with Rio. And like you say, bronze in, bronze in, uh, in Sydney. No, no, no. Athens. In Sydney. Bronze in Athens, fourth in China, and then the two silvers at the last two. And then, that, um, so at 36 years old, I then retired from racing and had a few things I wanted to do, but naturally the easiest thing and the thing that was uh, that interested me a little bit, not a huge amount, but a little bit, was the coaching. Right. And um, and I was lucky to have um, a few different possibilities there in in two thousand six, end of two thousand sixteen. And I started coaching the Japanese, and I loved it. And from then on, I've um, I've done that. I've continued to do that. This year has been a bit strange. Uh, yeah. Which me into other things, but uh, for now, I'm. Uh, I'm kind of 
there coaching the Japanese, do a little bit of the Hong Kong team. And then I have the, some little side projects on the go. Nice. So when, when you were when you were sort of growing up and windsurfing, I mean, um, I know that you know, windsurfing kind of feels like sometimes it has these sort of two routes. And one route is the, I'm going to be a sort of surfer dude and wave sailing and freestyle and all that side of it. And then the other side of it, is maybe looked at as a bit more regimented and I'm going down that very much that Olympic route. Was that a route you always wanted to take? Was Were you always really competitive or did you kind of just fall into, into that and that was what you were doing? I grew up in Peterborough. <laughs> so no waves. <laughs> it's, in, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and um, so therefore grew up on the lakes and uh, there is no option to, right. you know, I don't live, I didn't live in Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii, it'd be very different. Yeah, but uh, I didn't, and uh, I think once you fell into that RA system, it was very easy to just um, to to roll with. I, yeah. I wasn't. I mean, I, I was competitive, but I wasn't hugely um, driven at mm-hmm. a young age. I just I just windsurf because I love windsurfing. Uh, what? When did you? This is something I've had quite a few sort of pro sports people on, and and this is something that I'm always really interested in. Is was there was there a certain point where you were kind of selected and you were like, "Holy shit, I'm going to the Olympics," or was it was it more of a gradual thing, or was there a bit of a light bulb moment where you were like, "Oh my god, this is happening! I'm I'm an Olympic sailor." Uh, I think it was probably when uh, I got selected for <clears throat> Sydney. Um, how old would I have been? No, maybe oh, selected sorry. for the. For the pre-Olympics, which is kind of the trial run for the Olympics, so I'd have been 18 at the time. Wow. And very not, uh, very much not, I wasn't meant to be the one that was going. Okay. But of course you're 18, so you're full of confidence and you're full of um, just hunger and you just want to make it happen. And doing, uh, kind of falling in line is not what you do as an 18-year-old. <laughs> um and it was probably then, I uh, 18, I, I kind of dropped out of school and um, disappeared. I, I almost finished my A-level stuff, but I just disappeared and um, went off to Australia, I think it was, for seven weeks, and then kind of returned a different person. Then. Yeah. You know, from growing up in Peterborough to then getting the opportunity to be in Australia. Yeah, yeah. For two months, it was um, just, that was it. That was, wow. All right, I yeah. can do this. I could do this for a long time. And yeah yeah I bet what was the because obviously as you said you know you, you just about finished your A-levels I mean it must be it must be really different especially you're at that age where you're still kind of figuring out who you are I, as well I just about didn't finish my... <laughs> yeah. oh right okay yeah. That's right. Yeah. you know you're you're very much like figuring out who you are and all this stuff and then with something like that you're you're almost kind of told who you are and you're like no you're you're an you're an Olympian so you're gonna you're gonna go and do this and this did you did you fall straight in line with that? And you were like, yeah, cool. Or as you said, when you're 18, you don't necessarily follow the rules. Was, was, was no, there a bit I more was, of I was, much, um, I was very much a windsurfer. I wasn't an Olympian. Okay. And I wasn't that professional. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I wasn't loose, you know, I wasn't wild. I was, <laughs> I, I was very, uh, you know, I was very respectful and uh, grateful for everything I was getting and all the support I was getting. But um, I was not uh, a born athlete. As right. it were. That all came, uh, with a bit of a whip, and um, that was uh, that was a a, a forced down. Uh, it, uh, that was forced on me, I'd say, and um, something I I struggled with probably is that I wasn't um, an athlete, and I didn't enjoy the training, and I didn't enjoy getting up early, and I didn't enjoy missing out on all those things, and you know, and I did miss, and I did hate that I missed out on university and. It was a big deal at the time, but uh, obviously you look back and go, yeah, okay, I could live without that. Um, but at the time, it's um, it wasn't something that came easy. Mm. So. Yeah, that that was kind of kind of my next question because obviously it's a. Uh, so I imagine even though, as you say, you were a windsurfer rather than an Olympian, I guess it was still a fairly kind of regimented life. It's almost like parallel to everyone else your age that or parallel for a while. And then they suddenly branch off and they're like, right, I'm going to uni and I'm going to parties and I'm doing this. And then you're, you know, getting up at 5am and I'm not sure it'd be interesting, you know, what kind of physical training you guys were doing. Um, so before we get into the mental stuff, but that, that must've been quite difficult, especially as a younger guy. Yeah, it was, it was, but equally, um, it was also amazing. Yeah. 
um, the either the lifestyle I I was leading, you know, as a twenty year old was was insane. Okay, you weren't in first class and you weren't lavishly rich by any means. You were living like a bum. But you know, we, we went surfing in the morning and we trained in the afternoons for months on end. And that was uh incredible. It wasn't always the most productive, but it was a it was good fun at the time. Yeah, I suppose that that must be a huge part of it is actually having you know, did you have kind of a, a sort of core group around you guys? I imagine you had the the British sailing team or what you know, whatever it was called sort of back then, I guess same thing. But did you have that kind of group of other guys or guys and girls around your sort of age and you're kind of all sort of traveling together? That must have that must make things a bit easier at least. Yeah, it was good. I was always the younger one. Right. So, you know, we'd go around with Ben Prophet and and Dom tidy and uh I was always a bit younger, so I'd always get dragged around a bit. They'd be out of control. And I'd be always generally be the good one, right? Kind of to bed early. Um, uh, but yeah, we had a really lovely group of people around us. You know, people that we still know today, and yeah, it was, um, I suppose, a life-forming time, as it were. Well, that's it. Yeah, it is. You know, you're kind of late late teens going into early twenties. It's definitely. Well, I mean, I'm 29 now, and I'm still trying to figure out who I am. But you know, you're you're. You can because you, you constantly reinvent yourself and stuff, but that is the real dawning of you actually going right. Well, I'm not a school kid anymore, so what 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 am I going to be instead? Um, so when you're when you're kind of doing that, did you I, I, obviously Sydney? You didn't you didn't sort of make the podium, and then was it Athens four years after that? Is that maybe I'm getting yeah? More right. So I, Sydney, I was pretty disappointed in Sydney without going into too much. I was really disappointed in Sydney. I was kind of I was good, uh, but I wasn't uh, very experienced. At winning and I wasn't experienced enough at, at winning when I wasn't on my game and uh, really it was very simple that you, you know I go to the Olympic Games and it was all it was a it was incredible uh, incredible as a young person that had never done anything like that before um, it just kind of blows your mind and actually I think I probably blew up a little bit during the regatta you know you're looking for extra things you're looking for to be a bit better here and a bit better there but actually what you've got to do is just you just got to be who you are and do the things you're good at. And I probably didn't do that. I probably tried to be a little bit better than I was, tried to up my game too much mm. um, and just came and done a little bit. And that broke me a little bit because that's, until that moment, that's all you know. That's that's the moment you've been dreaming of, kind of getting to the Olympic Games, then you get to the Olympic Games. And that's a whole lifetime. That's not just a four-year build-up. That was a lifetime build-up to the Olympics. And then when you fail, it was uh, it was terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, so so so, at, so um, Athens, four years later was quite nice. It was it was a nice one to to do well at, um, and it was all it was good because it was close. You know, I was one point off second and one point off fourth. Wow! So right in that middle of, okay, I'll take that. That's uh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Was there? Did you did you do you feel like? You know what happened in Sydney kind of lit a fire in your belly and stuff. I mean, I'm you know again spoken to to athletes before, and a few of them have kind of said what you've said, and other ones, you know, they they kind of try and well, I guess do you, do you try and sort of in your head go right? Oh my God, I'm at the Olympics. This is happening. All this. But do you try and go no? Let's contain that and try and keep that cool so that you can focus on the task at hand, or is that just yeah, for sure with experience, yeah, but yeah. not a nineteen year old. Yeah, uh, and we, you know, have and has all that experience now. You see everyone turn up and blow up, and it's generally this the calm, confident heads that do well by the end of the regatta. Yeah, um, and the people that are just full of potential and talent um, generally explode. Yeah, because often, I mean, you know, it's very, very easy to say, but I guess it'd be interesting to see with your take. But often, it's not the people with the most talent, I guess, is it that kind of get through because. Sometimes, I mean, we've seen it in all the films and stuff. The ones on talent, they just sort of rely on that talent. So they go, no, I'll get up, I'll get up in a couple of hours or I'll do this. You know, is that something that you you kind of saw and is, that you see now as a coach as well? That's the, that's the same with everything in life. Yeah. Well, I mean, with everything in life, it's the same with school. You know, there are people that would just breeze through school and there yeah. are people that have to work. Um, and it's the same. I find the same in every walk of life. Mm. Uh, but it only gets you so far. Yeah. Um, there's an awful lot of very, very talented people in this world, but there's even more hungry, you know, people that are really willing to do whatever it takes. Um, 
and it's just it's a combination of two the, the potential and the talent is is just a small part of it mm. that allows you that gives you opportunities and sometimes gives you an edge but really it's the it's the that base of it's the hard work that just grounds everything yeah and allows you to do repeat things rather than just do things on a one-off you know it's kind of being able to do it day in day out yeah and achieve on your bad days yeah that's it yeah it's kind of not just going oh, i've had a bad day so i'm gonna i mean i i i, I attribute this a lot and i i do it a lot but i'm not a pro athlete but you know when on a bad day it's the people that still get up and go right well i'll rig up and i'll go out for a couple of hours that i guess are the well it sounds stupid it sounds arbitrary to say but they're the, they're the ones that are gonna gonna kind of do the best so i mean with that in mind what did you did you have to adapt your mindset um going into sort of athens and beyond obviously experience definitely helped um but was there a kind of did you obviously you know and four years is a long time like how what what do you how do you fill those four years between olympics is it literally just a case of training and windsurfing as much as possible or uh no you just you have um you just have targets so you right. break you just break it down of course if someone just says i'm gonna win a gold medal in four years time yeah. well that's uh that's just a statement you know that's not a plan yeah that's, um, so you you have to first understand how how you're going to do it and whether it is achievable hmm. because uh, understanding and believing that these things are achievable make them real yeah you know before that you know we all sit there and go oh, i'd love to be rich wouldn't mm. it make life easy yeah but, you know it's actually sitting down and working out how that's going to be how you're going to do it and it's exactly the same it's um it's just uh you break it down so for me you break it down into world championships each year right it was also always massively weighted on the world championships because that's where we got our funding from okay so if you're top eight in the world which is kind of always the time you have got to be top eight to survive i think that gave you like well i think at the time about 1300 pounds a month right. which was enough to pay your mortgage and put fuel in your car and yeah. buy your groceries uh and that, you know and that's it and then uh maybe top three you get a bit more and you could kind of live and actually um live a bit nicer maybe on one holiday a year yeah yeah generally you always you know it's all you're always running out of money but those were the the targets always the world championships i think after athens i think i finished I think seventh eighth ninth no seventh sixth fifth fourth of the world championships going into going into athens yeah kind of i knew i was on the, a really good steady trajectory and all achievable yeah. That's, inter that's interesting the way you say it because I think I think you're right. Often a lot of people they just sort of focus on that destination, don't they? They go, you know, whether it is I want to be rich or I want to be an Olympian or I want to compete in whatever it is or even even things like losing weight and stuff. People are like, this is what I want to do. I want a six pack by summer. But I think often it's more important to go. This is what I want in three weeks' time, and then you get there and you go right. This is what I want in three weeks' time. I think sort of those smaller, more actionable goals are far more valuable and they're far more sustainable as well um i guess especially for you guys at the largest stage far more sustainable and keep you a lot more grounded than just sort of focusing on that destination all the time yeah and you can just um i think being able to although windsurfing is a really difficult thing to measure and measure yeah. progress on you know we don't have metrics as it were so you have to rely on something and a lot of the time you just um, work on those on those processes and the fitness was always great because that does have metrics and that is measurable and you can measure you know input compared to output you know how much have i put in what have i done so that was always good to have so i always have really good fitness goals um because it is nice to be able to achieve things yeah. So even when you weren't maybe racing so well or, you know, you, you weren't going so fast or you're making bad decisions, you always had something that you were kind of working towards. Yeah. Sometimes we get the balance wrong, but um, that was always a really nice thing to have targeted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. While we're while we're on that sort of physical physical side of it, then um, I've heard a lot of rumors in the rumor mill around windsurfing for years. Everyone's always said it. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't get much more authoritative than you on this. Um, is is windsurfing the most physically demanding Olympic sport? Because I've heard a lot of chat of it is because they've got to be ready to pump around the course in three knots and then hold down a nine five in 30 knots, all this. 
No. No. <laughs> I, I'd never compare myself to the Brownleys or uh, Mo Farah or, you know, the real athletes. Right. Sure, we are athletes, or I was an athlete, and you have to be very, very fit. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's different. It's not a pure um, fitness um, no. related thing. It is very, very, very difficult. And juggling all the variables is a nightmare. And it's yeah. still a nightmare to coach um, because there's so much going on. Um, but uh, no, no. No. Yes, fit. fit. I, I think my VO2 max was around seventy when I was on when I was in good shape. Yeah, around seventy, but it wouldn't be there very often. I'm very much a peaker. <laughs> I wouldn't waste my chain training for four years. I'd be I do what's required, have some really nice targets, but I wouldn't sustain that level of fitness no. for four years. I'd always be dropping weight and uh, very fine. I've very very <laughs> mastered the uh, the um, the peak, as it were. Um, yeah. some people can do it but not me I guess as you said windsurfing is one of those sports where it's it's such a difficult thing to measure even in I'd say you know RSX the, the the windsurfing that you've done is the easiest of windsurfing to measure but still like if you're focusing so much on physicality and, and all that stuff like someone like a runner that's all they necessarily need to maybe maybe they've got to think about keeping a bit of gas in the tank for the end but windsurfing there's so much more stuff going on mentally isn't there there's tactics and there's it's conditions dependent as well you know so it's it it must be difficult to kind of balance that training out so i mean obviously you had you know physical sort of training i assume you had coaches all that stuff what was the sort of mental side like did you going from your sort of earlier days and then we'll, we'll catch up to to kind of now but did you have kind of someone in place to sort of keep you in check mentally yeah but generally a waste of time Right. Um, it was, um, you, you just could, you, <laughs> for this. um, it's the, the, ah, how do I say it? The, the sports psychologists are, some of them work really well for some people and yep. some of them don't fit at all. Okay. Uh, for me, I used them, but whether it really made a difference, it was more of a life balance thing for me when I spoke to them. It was okay. more of an arm. Oh, I've got all of this going on right now. I can't, you know, I can't focus. Uh, just help me prioritize a little bit here. And they kind of just clear your mind a bit and get rid of some of the distractions and what's important and what's not. But in terms of, you know, actual racing mentality, uh, control, all that stuff, that's all, that's really, that comes from from experience and uh yeah it comes from experience and your own self coaching yeah yeah i think yeah you're right i think a lot of it does kind of have to come from yourself but if that if that was the case did you find and, and even for yourself as you got more experience did you find some of the other sort of riders that you were on tour for lack of a better word um the, the riders did you find they were kind of helpful or was it very much everyone's everyone's by themselves and no one wants to give give the secrets away oh uh, yeah the latter yeah is it oh really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no one really wants to help any help each other no <laughs> that's, that's one, spot, one spot for the uk and it's always been the way right uh, in the early days it was just you know everyone in it for themselves and then the and then you know, probably after the probably since Athens, it was very much controlled uh, by me. It's great for me. You know, probably a bit selfish looking back, but um, I all I really cared about was winning, and uh, whatever I could do to facilitate that yeah. was um, uh, that was done. Yeah, I suppose it. I mean, it, it must be, it must be, it must be difficult though, because once you do get a taste of, you know, you had in Athens, you got your first bronze, you're on the podium at the Olympics, you got an Olympic medal. It must be difficult, you know, after the rush and everything of that, to sort of focus on everything else. I, I imagine you kind of do become a sort of one-track mind, whether you like it or not. Well, you just always go back to the default. You know, you wake up in the morning, and you know, it's just, will this help me win a gold medal? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's literally it. Almost down to the. You know, do you want to go for a curry? And you just ask yourself the same question, and it's generally a no. Yeah, is that is that the level? Is that the level you found yourself going to? Like literally something as something as small as going out for a, a meal with friends and family or whatever. Is that is that the level that you kind yeah. of went to? 
Yeah, because you know you can't go there, any. Yeah. You have to go there and drink water and have a you know, dry corner with some rice. Um, it it's you know varied, but if you were if you were on it, it would, you know everything is well. It's something you win a gold medal. Yeah. No, then it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Did you find? Did you find? Did you find that sort of um, sort of difficult through through the years having to say no to all that stuff or? Again, like I said, were you were you just that driven that you were like, nah, this is this I'm really sorry, this is me, this is what I'm doing, I'm not compromising. Yeah. I mean not many yeah, not many not much, not sorry for much. It was just no. Yeah. Um it's interesting, like because windsurfing as well as you know quite a lot of other sports it is one of those sports where regardless of the fact that you're on team gb or anything like that you are still just one person you're not a basketball team or a football team or anything like that so it is it's kind of all on you so you i guess you do have to sort of cultivate that sort of attitude but what what was it like um sort of after your your silver in rio you know when you announced um you were retiring was that because you wanted to retire, or were you were you kind of like um I've I've sort of passed the peak? Um, no, I was just absolutely done. Yeah, I had you know you only ever do it for yourself, right? Anyone that ever says they do it for you know anyone else is is lying. Yeah, <laughs> you know you do it. It's such a selfish, horrible thing to be an athlete, um, and uh, I don't really like it. No. It's, um, but it is so selfish. You are just, ev- just everything is about winning. Yeah. Um, and for me, by the end, I was absolutely done with the whole lot. I didn't want to do it anymore. I hated it. I didn't hate it, but it was a real drag. It was really hard. Um, yeah. I, w- I wanted to do other things in life. I didn't want to have to. I mean, the last four years, I was much, I was probably much, I had a much better balance right. in life. Um, but, uh, until then it was very much, you know, it was really harsh Yeah, and, and quite hard. Uh, I've, I've loved retire. I mean, I've loved retiring. You see, see, I see a lot of friends and athletes that really struggle, really struggle with stopping. They lose that drive and they lose that thing that filled their life and, Mm. and everything is just a bit meaningless and a bit, you know, what am I getting up for? I have no, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have that. I was yeah. so happy to stop. I couldn't have been happier retiring um, and just really enjoy the sport again. Um, yeah, it's been lovely. Do you think Do you think that may have come from, obviously, you know, you're by, by this point, you were very much like a, you know, you've been in it for 16, 16 years. So you, you know, you've been doing that. I know, I know you mentioned just before we hit record that you've got kids and stuff. I mean, did you have kids at that point and were you, were you kind of eyes on the ball and no, you know, fuck off. I'm going to go get a gold medal. But at the same time, you're like, actually, I've kind of got these distractions now that are getting louder and louder. Pretty much. I mean, when they were babies, they're, they're babies and they're, they are, um, it was, you know, it was hard, but you know, um, they are just very, very young. And, you know, you get home and they don't really miss you. They don't even yeah. Um, But as they get older, of course, I just want to be home with them. Yeah. As much as much as I can but still equally still just away all the time um but um so yeah basically they get older it gets harder leaving them being away yeah. from them all the time um yeah. but certainly at the start um what Thomas would have been three in London <laughs> Oscar was you know only just born um so they're very very young um yeah but yeah after that it's been it's been nice after that yeah that's it. It's interesting that you say that other other Olympians or other athletes that you know that have have kind of struggled with that retirement. I guess it's it may be and it's completely different, but I guess it is kind of similar to to guys when they kind of leave the army and things as well, where they're kind of used to this used to this way of life and not maybe not necessarily chasing a, a goal as much as you guys, but they always know what they're doing the next day, all that stuff, and then suddenly that sort of stops. Um, you're much, yeah, you're very much looked after in the team. Right. Um, I mean, especially Olympics, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> I, I mean, you literally wake up, you train, you go to sleep, you don't cook, you don't have to show someone stretches for you, stretches you. I mean, you literally don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything thinking, all your admin's done, your flights are booked, accommodations booked, you, there's nothing, you know. Something yeah. breaks, generally there's someone there to fix it. 
Um, and then you leave and then you stop all that, of course, and then you're on your own. I, which I don't have a problem with. I love, you know, I love, uh, I love stepping away and just going, oh, I can breathe again. No one to answer to apart from yeah. myself. Um, so that was nice. But certainly when you are in that bubble, it is the big family and it's quite uh, all consuming. Yeah, it must be. It must be a difficult environment as well because you're you're with all these other people and obviously I'm you know I'm sure you got on with the other guys from other countries or other within the GB squad or all, all that sort of stuff but there must just be that little bit of tension all the time of like I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you tomorrow or I'm gonna beat you next week or next year or whatever and there's there there must always be that you know because everyone is I imagine so sort of highly strung I mean what what was that environment environment like for you sort of mentally or again were you that sort of strongly minded towards your goal that you were like whatever yeah no problem really yeah yeah no conflict between being their friend and being their competitor yeah competitor first right and you know friend second you just went you went full full terminator mode oh no no well (laughs) no uh not quite yeah uh I, i just knew what was important right yeah. Did you did you think did you get that that same sort of vibe from from all the other guys? No, very varied. You know, the French were very the French would be very determined, very harsh, yeah. very, uh, and uh, and the Dutch will be you know all flowers and laughter and clowns, right. you know, craziness. Yeah. So it just it just sort of depended on on who who was who. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess I imagine that. Do do you think as well? that retiring um, was made slightly easier for you because you, you kind of left on a high, didn't you as well? You know, was, was um, yeah, was, it probably helped, probably helped. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty happy. You know, I think I could have won in Rio, but um, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I was beaten by someone that was better than me. Um, if not on the day, he it, it, probably better than me. Full stop. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's, I'm cool with that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, is that something that do you, do you kind of, as you've, as you've gone on, have you sort of made kind of started to make, make peace with that? And, or, or is there still a kind of a few sort of regrets there or? No, no, no. I'm not really a regretter. Good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's cool. You know, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. He's the best. He is the best windsurfer that racer that there ever was ever. But I mean, he- by a mile. Is he is he still competing? No, he lost the trials in February. Oh no. One point. Oh no. That yeah, see, that must be uh, a kick. To uh Kieran mm. Badlow, Dutch Vincent. He, he Kieran will probably win. He, Kieran's right. by far the best in the world right now. Right. I mean they were first and second at the last three world championships. Oh wow. Yeah. Um yeah, so they they just bred another one, you know. Bread another one. Yeah. What are the Dutch Very feeding them? What are they yeah. feeding them? Yeah. So, so you obviously now sort of since then, um, you, you said you've kind of now moved into that sort of coaching role. Um, as you said, before we hit record, is that for the, it's for the Japanese Olympic team now? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what's, what's, what, what's that been like transitioning from kind of one side of the, one side of the fence to the other? Um, is it, is it, you said you, you've sort of really in, enjoyed and embraced that coaching role, um, but how, how's that been for you sort of change, changing up that lifestyle? Yeah, I think lifestyle wise, wise, it's been amazing. Um, you know, I have, um, uh, yeah, I have more financial stability with it, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, that was nice. <laughs> I still get to travel the world, but without the um, game right. face on. Yeah. You know, you can actually smile and say hello to people and be genuine. Yeah. Um, I found it really lovely being in that environment. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I found it really um, challenging. Yeah. As a, as a profession, you know, yeah. as a, as a as a role and as you know someone that wants to do their very very best and be the you know i want to i want to give him the best coaching he could possibly get um and uh that's hard and uh it's emotional sometimes yeah i guess it i guess it's kind of good for you because you've like you said you've got that fine line of 
I'm kind of, I'm still involved and I'm still doing the Olympic stuff and all that, but I can go for a curry with my friends and I can go and do this. And yeah, you, you kind of don't, don't necessarily need to do that. And it must be, it must be really nice being able to kind of impart all that wisdom and all that experience. Like it's, I mean, I, I coached windsurfing for, for years as well. And it's a, it's a very fulfilling job of coaching anything. You know, my girlfriend's a teacher as well. I mean, maybe she's not having a very nice time at the moment, but, but generally it's, um, it's a very sort of fulfilling role and it, it's great to see people succeed on something you've taught them to do. Yeah. I, I, uh, I suppose that's probably where I've changed most with the coaching is um, I teach less and less yeah. and try and uh, kind of facilitate and allow him to um, breathe a bit and him to lead me yeah. rather than me teach him, teach him, teach him. Cause I just found he was relying on me too much right you know nick what do you think nick what do you think nick what about this and of course that's not um sustainable and it's not reliable right um it all has to really it all has to come from him and uh he really should be coaching himself where i I just um kind of put the right things in his mind yeah help him prioritize and uh help him understand because if you just fire instructions the whole time he can't you know he just he can't take it all in and you know what's good one day is going to be completely different another day um so i think it's changed a lot my role's changed a lot um but uh yeah it's been good it's been very rewarding yeah i suppose you uh, uh we always used to say as well you know i worked at club bass for many years and it once you get to a certain level of windsurfing you know the advanced guys or whatever you you stop teaching and you start coaching and you almost it's two completely different things and I certainly for the higher levels that I was teaching you, you almost become a soundboard, don't you? People are like, well, I, I did this and this didn't work, but then I sort of did this and it did work. And you go, yeah, that second one, that one was good. And, you know, do that. And it's, it, it becomes a much more, yeah, sort of particular thing than just a broad, broad strokes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's even less than that. It's more, um, it's more, uh, I suppose, uh, <sighs> It's just a, a bit of a mental, um, it's my job to, to ha- not motivate him, but to put the right things in place that he can motivate himself. Right. Um, it's my job to feed him things that help him believe in himself. Um, yeah. It's my job to uh, make sure he understands what he's good at and why he's good at it so that yeah. he can unleash it at the right time. Um, because we, we all doubt ourselves more than anyone else. Yeah our biggest doubt is our you know we are our biggest critics and he will rip into himself uh at times and uh it's just my job to kind of be there as the steady solid someone he trusts and respects to give him sound um advice yeah so you find you're, you're almost you're almost as much of a coach outside of outside of windsurfing as you are you know actually when they're when they're on the board is that oh yeah is that, is yeah. that something is that something that's that's kind of come through in the last few years. Did, did you have that kind of figure when, when you were competing in the Olympics? Yeah. So, I mean, I had two coaches, Barry and Don. Barry was, in, um, was amazing. Right. And uh, tactically, he taught, he taught me everything I know tactically. And that's always where I was really strong was tactically. Um, and he was brilliant at that. Uh, pretty good at the technique stuff. Um, maybe not so good at some other stuff. And then, uh, and then I changed to having Don who was really great at just making, uh, just keeping life balanced. Right. Um, and uh, making sure we did the right, you know, the right things and keeping it simple. Um, and I had, you know, by the time I was working with Dom, I had very much had um, all my technical stuff, all my tactical stuff was all yeah. pretty sound. Um, but what he was, he was great at creating the right environment for me and just allowing me to be me and allowing me space to yeah. space to breathe, which is what I, which was what I required. And he was, you know, fantastic for kind of making that environment the the place where I could, where I could really kind of perform. Is that um, when you, when you sort of say create the environment for yourself, was that, did you, did you ever find yourself getting a bit sort of o- overwhelmed with your position? I mean, sort of, do, do you know what I mean by that? No. So <laughs> did you, did you ever get a bit overwhelmed, even though you had all the experience, did you ever, when he, when he was creating that environment, was that because you were a bit like, you know, 
did you have that moment where you're holy, holy shit i can't do this i'm an olympian i should be doing this i should be doing this or or uh, was it kind of different no, more of um uh more i wanted a, a re i wanted a really relaxed environment right where it wasn't um all about this and all about that it was uh, barry and i were very um we we're quite um different okay he's 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 quite full he's full on yeah you know he's really full on amazing amazing but he's full on and it is it's quite stressful at times and uh i i didn't need that uh kind of stress yeah i, I wanted time to breathe and i wanted to kind of do it a bit more on my terms um and i think you know i was getting older and i think i wanted to take a bit more control yeah whereas barry's program was a bit more led by barry whereas i wanted um total control yeah um, and to um do it my that way. sounds i get that that that's you know dom the the second guy who was coaching you that sounds fairly similar to the way you're coaching now of kind of letting the letting the athlete sort of lead the conversation things is that do you think that's something that you've taken into being a coach now yeah maybe i mean we're always evolving and changing with it yeah. i'm learning all the time you know now i'm still reading a lot of a lot of coaching books and trying to um kind of just understand a little bit more what my role is mm. and how it can be better because i certainly went into coaching as a technical expert so i could tell i could tell them exactly how to do this and how to do that and yeah, yeah. and we progressed really fast but then we hit this massive plateau yeah where we we now had the speed we had the technique we had some of the tactical base but we didn't have the uh we didn't have the mind basically. okay we didn't have control of his emotions right um in the way that i wanted him to and that's been very difficult well one is a language barrier and two uh we come from different cultures so mm -hmm. it's um it's been a real test and real challenge and actually that's our biggest um, goal moving forward towards tokyo in summer is um is uh, just working on some of those mindset areas and and what's really really important and what's not important in, in, when when you say that do you mean kind of keeping keeping someone sort of level-headed you know keeping them pretty cool despite the fact that they're going to the olympics and it is coming up to that biggest stage and it'd be interesting to talk about the fact that the olympics have been delayed for a year how, how that's all worked for you guys and if anything i'd feel like that's added more pressure even though yeah we've got an extra year to train but you're like oh god i was we were just about there and then to, to have that extended um but i mean is is that the kind of mindset sort of coaching that you've been you've been putting in uh i mean this year has been a i mean let's be honest it's been a total and utter nightmare yeah um, and i haven't seen him since march Oh my God. Um, everything is done remotely. So, I mean, that is just useless. I mean, it's hopeless pretty much. Um, he hasn't sailed with anyone else since March. Wow. He's been sailing on his own in Tokyo in the build up to his, his Olympic games on home waters. It has been an absolute uh, test <laughs> for, for both of us. Um, but he is incredible. I mean, he's right. incredible. And we will always go to the default of, okay, we just need to maintain, we need to maintain, yeah. we're not moving forward. Um, our dreams of being able to do this, 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 and this are gone, but they've also gone for everyone else. Yeah. And you're still still sailing on the Olympic venue every day, which is a massive advantage. That's and cool. he is fit as a fiddle and he's, and, he, and he's Japanese. So he has a work ethic of just like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. And, he will, and he will train. He's, he's fitter now than he's ever been in his life. And he's what 34 35 years old right um and he i mean an absolute weapon and <laughs> be 71 kilos so it'd be 71 kilos but yeah. 73 he'll be 73 and um so we you know he's still all right he's good yeah you know, he doesn't lack motivation he lacks yeah. a bit of happiness and spirit at times because it's brutal yeah. what he's doing but um he's uh he's all right and we're just working our way through how uh we can move on but right now we're just surviving keeping our head afloat and stay where you are um you know not panicking yeah the olympics is a boat if it happens it's almost got to the stage where if it happens it's a bonus yeah life has has thrown it at everyone and um i think if we can just get through this in one piece you know if we can get to 
back together again in May and have a three month build up to the Olympics, then we can do everything we need to do in three months. Okay, we haven't done all the things, but we can do enough. Yeah, as you as you said um, so well, I think at the at the moment it's something I've been saying a lot as well. At, at the moment, uh, no one needs to be trying to succeed at the moment. All we need to be doing is trying to survive. And the way the way you said it for for you guys is maintain. Um, which is such an important thing. And I think too many people are still putting so much pressure on themselves um, over the last nine months to a year to keep going and keep pushing up, whether it's a career ladder or, or anything like that. And I think it, it, I just look and I'm like, you know, it's exhausting uh, in normal times, let alone trying to deal with it, with everything that's going on. It's really, it's really hard. You know, we're constantly, um, Hannah and my partner and myself, we're always, um, you know, what is, um, what is what what's the right thing to do yeah is the right thing to stay at home and not leave the house like we're told to yeah uh or is the right thing to be proactive and try and get overseas and try and get training again and try and fulfill that those lifelong goals and and make things happen and we're completely torn all the time we come around there is no right answer we just um let's just go with with what we believe in and you know we believe that whatever we plan to do is not going to harm anyone or put anyone at risk, then, you know, you have to take that decision. But right now, I mean, I'm for one, I'm very much, um, I'm here at home. Yeah. You know, waiting for the green light. Um, but, uh, and, and trying to not get wound up that life is, uh, life does involve homes under the hammer and, uh, it's okay to sit yeah. on, to walk, you know, to have your lunch and, sit down the telly on for half an hour and say, okay, to go, oh, do you know what? I'm, I haven't actually got much on. I'm going to watch another hour of this. This yeah. is quite interesting. Yeah. Watch some, uh, who's that professor, the science professor? He came on the TV today doing something on Mars. Bloody interesting. Yeah. Brilliant. And normally we never do. We never put the TV on in the day. Yeah. But we found yeah. ourselves, well, let's just watch it. Let's just let's watch it. Yeah. And it was great. And yeah. we're trying to not feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a real difficult one right now. It must be it must be so odd as well. I mean, listeners, there you go. I mean, you know, Olymp- Olympic medalist Nick Dempsey is watching Homes Under the Hammer, and if he if he does it, that means you guys are allowed to as well. You know, it's it, it is one of those things. But do you it, it that that's such a such a polar opposite to what you spent you know nearly twenty years of your life doing. So it it must be to a certain extent, I guess. But at the same time, you're you're busy trying to coach. Um, you know, trying to coach, but you've kind of got that like polarized point where you're like, actually, let's just have a bit of downtime and, and, and just sort of stop, you know? It's been really hard, but I mean, we very much embraced the summer for that. And, you know, and the kids were off school and we homeschooled and then we had yeah. that incredible summer and, you know, and life was good. And we were like, you know what, we can take, we, we are, we are all right. We can take this financial hit. Yeah. Um, and then of course it gets to the autumn and you think, okay, right everything you know we're all right we're back working again in november and things are going to be okay and then that gets cancelled and then we kind of bumble away with a few little side projects and then uh and the january comes along and i was meant to go to um hong kong for six weeks right um and i'd never normally go never go away for six weeks but of course the quarantine you've got to go there you've got to quarantine for two weeks and then you've got to work yeah um and it was great for me having not worked for so long i thought oh, do you know what i, I need to work i need yeah. to work mentally and financially i have to work <laughs> and uh, and then that's cancelled and you know, oh my god when's it gonna Everybody, end you know when that's the problem that is the problem if someone gave me an end date no but, problem yeah it's just not knowing what to do yeah it's what it yeah it's the it's the the worry of the worry of the unknown i mean i imagine especially especially for you because despite all the unknown you are still building towards a goal you know, through, through your, through who you're coaching, but you're still building towards that goal, even though you're like, is, are we even going to get a chance to do it? You know? Wow. A whole life's full of goals. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, even, yeah, you're right off, off the race course as well. You know, I'm sure you've, you've still got things you, you want to do or everyone, everyone listening, everyone does. Um, and it, it does, it does feel, it does feel like a lot, a lot of things have been put put on hold. I mean, I, I turned 30 in August and I've decided that I'm not going to turn 30. I'm going to be, I'm going to be 29 again. Cause I've not really been, I've not really had a chance to be 29, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny time. Yeah. It's funny time. 
But we we just always come back to the um, we're lucky, you know. I'm you know we're living with people we love and we're surrounded by people we love and and uh, there's an awful lot of people that don't have that. Um, yeah. So we're you know we are we're in good shape. Yeah. Uh, it's just challenging. Definitely. Um, one 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 sort of more thing, Nick, uh, that I just really wanted to touch on before we sort of finish up um, was was how that sort of I'm going completely off topic. We're, we're turning left. We're stopping talking about COVID now. But how how that conversation around sort of um, mental health and things has evolved within within the Olympics. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, especially well, I'm, I'm going to talk about COVID again. Sorry. But if anything, this last year has only accelerated times 100 the conversation around mental health, which in a way is good. Um, but also it's been so detrimental to so many people's mental health. But for yourself as a, as a pro, um, you know, Olympian or athlete, um, how, how did that sort of mental health conversation start for you in, in Sydney to when you sort of finished in Rio to, to now as a coach? I mean, has it, has it seen, you know, a bit more awareness around it within the Olympics? Not really. Really? No. Oh, it's, it's such a, uh, uh, in sport, it's still a um, taboo. Um, it's just a doing it, doing it because it's politically correct, right? Uh, still, very much the line is is you know you man up and you, you crack on. That's, really? that's like yeah, that's like in the DNA of sport. Yeah, and, uh, and it will always be like that. And it's it, it's not business. It's it is it's driven from passion and um, and. Uh, willingness to uh just give up all the everything you uh, sacrifice it's yeah. just whoever will work hardest and whoever sacrifices most uh are generally the people that win you know you only have to look at the backgrounds of some of the best sportsmen in the world to see that mm-hmm. they're you know those gritty 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 determined people uh often go on to be the uh the best sportsmen that ever lived yeah and you uh as soon as you um you mess with that too much uh you don't always get the 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 results you you really want you can't um it's brutal the professional sport is absolutely brutal Mm. and although mental health is is huge and definitely has a part to play um it's um it's, it's different to the rest of society yeah it it is different um you know you go through your sporting career and you see the people that are are there to um they're never going to win but they're there and they tick all the right boxes and and they do this and they do that and they do all the things correctly and they fill out all their forms and then you get the people that are slightly you know off the rails in places but my god they have passion they have drive and they have desire and they have a will to do Mm. it no matter what and those are the people that win and if you want a high performance sport that is that's unfortunately is a bit the way the way it is and there's nothing worse than when you're working your tits off and you see the people that are just ticking the right boxes but you know and they'll go along and they'll just tick along the average for an entire career uh and it's quite difficult to deal with that because you just think oh come on stop wasting money on those people i need you know you know, some new boards or I need some new fins or, you know, I need new co- some new coaching for this or yeah, yeah, this person. And then it's being spread so thin. It was always very um, difficult watching people just frustrating the average. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, do you think then almost that if there was, I mean, I don't want to say that there shouldn't be support, but do you think if there was a lot more support around mental health and, and keeping people balanced and all that stuff, potentially you wouldn't get those people who are willing to put in that extra, you know, f- five, 10% over a hundred to go, no, I'm going to, you know, sacrifice everything else so that I can win that gold. Do you think that kind of hamper would be hampered by extra mental health and uh, support and people, you know, trying to keep people more balanced? I don't know. I don't know. It's I mean, difficult. I, it's, it's really like, interesting I'm what you said. I'm not a mental health dif- uh, expert. Right. But, um, I'm just saying what I've seen. Yeah, the, no, no. It's super ahead. interesting. Um, Tiger Woods is not balanced. No, he's not at all. But Neither is... He's not balanced. No. Um, I know Federer looks balanced. I mean, he's just amazing. He's not... He's just amazing. He but, just sleeps, uh, doesn't he? Sleeps 12 hours a night or something, doesn't he? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why he's so chilled. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
you know, all those are, it's just sportsmen are just like uh, you said, like you said, they've you've you've got to be so inherently selfish is almost the wrong word i don't maybe the word driven but i guess selfish is the word that you should use but i just don't want to be rude but you know like um being honest yeah no no i mean yeah i mean it's been it's been amazing that you said the opposite to what i thought you were going to say when i asked you about mental health of the olympics i thought it was going to be oh they they do this now and they do this now and you know they do they do sort of all all sorts for you so it's it's quite amazing that you've said that there there still necessarily isn't that isn't that because there's so much more of a focus on, no, we want you to win, you know? Yeah, I think it's different for different sports and different teams. But um, if you just, you know, if you really just were blunt and really looked at it, then you, the evidence is, is there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, you know, often, as you said, you look at the best sportsmen in the world and all of their biggest, all the biggest success stories have come out of the biggest adversity. Often, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Nick, that is a, a lovely place to uh, to sort of finish up there. Um, thank you so much for your time. A couple of quick questions before we go. I always do a, a couple of things. Um, where where is your where is your happy place? If you click your fingers right now, where where are you? Oh, right here with Hannah stood behind me. Yeah, and, and my kids. Nice. Yeah, that's often. I always think I'm going to get a really superficial answer of oh, I'd be in Hawaii or I'd be here, but. Most of the time, people people say exactly what you've just said, which is actually a really nice nice part of humanity, I suppose. Um, as you said, I'm a I'm a huge movie movie fan. I'm a bit of a film buff. I really like that. Obviously, we've been stuck in a lot. We've been watching a lot of TV. Other than Homes on the Hammer, Homes Under the Hammer. Sorry, um, have you been have you been watching anything? Are you are you a TV movie guy? What have you been hit me with a lockdown recommendation, Nick? I love TV. You know, we spent a lifetime on the road. So, of course, Netflix. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I have Netflix, Amazon Prime, Now TV, uh, all on the go. Um, nice. Because we run out of stuff to watch. Yeah. Uh, we, we watch I mean, we watch everything. What are we watching? Um, we love an ITV drama. Okay. Or a BBC drama. BBC drama's good. I watched the, have you watched the one about the Salisbury poisonings? That was very good. Oh, yeah, we watched that last year. Yeah, it came out came out a while ago, but I caught it quite late. It was a three parter, but that was brilliant. Yeah, that was very good. That was, that was very, a good one. Oh, we watch yeah. it all. Yeah, no, I mean we watch loads of TV. Yeah, I like, bet, I bet. Yeah. Um, the boys, the boys, that's a good one. The boys, yeah, the boys is good. Yeah, oh, the boys, yeah, the boys is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite, it's pretty outrageous, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very very good. Um, and then. Finally, sort of finishing up, Nick. Um, who who would you like to to hear on the podcast? Who who shall I talk to next? Have you got any any people that you think would be really really sort of interesting to talk to about you know mental health or or any, anything you know well being all that sort of stuff? Hit me with a recommendation if that's if you've got. Oh. Well, athlete. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Or just anyone. Just, 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 and anyone, anyone that you think would be really interesting to to talk to. It always depends on how honest they're going to be. Dog <laughs> Gallagher. Yeah. If only. If only. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, I'd love to hear from one of the politicians. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I've I've asked Boris a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. See what he's going to see what he's going to say. Well, just a, a politician in general would be really, really interesting. Actually, I mean, yeah. even even one of the the younger ones. There's a woman in Scotland called Mary Black that I'd love to have on. She's really like outspoken and just calls people out and and stuff. So that that would be really interesting. Actually, I've not really thought about that. Yeah. Um, other than calling I think there's someone that's uh, just somebody that's we're obviously we're clearly we're watching a lot of politicians at the moment. We are um, <laughs> watching them squirm and and yeah. just never answer a question. And I find it unbelievable they won't just. Um, say it how it is yeah it's exhausting uh, isn't it exhausting yeah i try i try i try and i think yeah what watch more of the boys and watch less of the news and i think generally we'll be a much happier people won't we yeah i do often try and make sure we don't watch the turn o'clock news before we go to bed oh yeah certainly it's like watching yeah watching the apocalypse um yeah well nick thank you so much for coming on um yeah it's been such such a great insight into such a kind of mystical world if you know what i mean of, of kind of the olympics so it's great to get a look behind the curtain um guys i hope you've um, enjoyed listening to that um nick where can we where can we find you on on sort of social media or any, anything like that uh so it's nickdempsey.com 
Uh, social media is uh, Instagram's nick.dempsey.pro. Nick.dempsey.pro, nice. I didn't know what else to put. I That's couldn't cool. put Nick Dempsey, so I had to put something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think everything is just on my name. Out of, out of all the Nick Dempsey's out there, I'd say you are probably the most pro, so we'll, we'll, we'll let you have that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, guys, and you can also find me on at the After Hours Lounge on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you can go there. Please like, share, subscribe, leave me a review, all that sort of stuff. Um, it massively helps me with the podcast. Um, and yeah, we will see you for the next one. Thanks again, Nick. Pleasure. And see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.